Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Daffy's Roundtable. Today we've got an incredibly intriguing topic to dive into along with some amazing guests. But before I introduce you to our special guests, I want to extend a huge thank you to Dan from Amphibicast. Not only did he set up today's episode, but he's also joining me as my co-host for this exciting discussion. In today's episode, we're diving into the concept of rewilding, exploring the possibilities of re-releasing species into their native habitats, and whether they can truly thrive. To help us navigate this incredibly fascinating subject, we have two incredible guests on board, Carlos Galvez and Jack Small. We're going to be using the Ufaga Limani project happening at Cali Zoo, which Carlos is heavily involved in as a sort of case study for our conversation today. For those of you that want to dive even deeper into the Cali Zoo project, I highly recommend checking out episode 132 of Amphibicast. In that episode, they explore the project in great detail and it's definitely worth a listen. And of course, before we go any further, allow me to give a huge shout out and thank you to our awesome show sponsors, Exoterra. Exoterra makes quality products for our pet reptiles to make them feel at home. All right, get ready for a very thought-provoking discussion on rewilding, species survival, and the incredible work happening at Cali Zoo. Without further ado, please help me welcome today's guests. Hello, everyone. Hey, hey Jack, uh, Jack, Carlos, Body. What's going on, everyone? Hey, happy to be here. Carlos, Jack, thank you guys for joining us. Dan, thank you very much for doing this, for putting it all together. Um, I am super excited to have this episode happen. And yeah, once again, thank you for making this happen. So let's get right into it. Um, Carlos, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got to how you got to where you are? So, you know, a quick summary of 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 Carlos. <laughs> OK, OK, OK. I am I am Carlos Galvis. I am the head of the populations department at the Cali Zoo. I am biologist. Uh, I am been working uh, for the Cali Zoo for 24 years, and, but I am the director for some conservation programs. And one of the programs that I am working now at present and is more exciting for me is the conservation pro program for the Ophagalemani, the Lemans Poison Program. It's an endemic species in critical endangered here that is is inhabit here very in, in our department here in the in the region the the budget del Cauca is an endemic species here. Yeah, that's awesome, and that's I guess kind of like what what we're a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today, and I'm super excited about it. Obviously, that's a super popular frog that you know we don't even see. I don't I don't know how it is for you guys in, in, in the States, Dan, but for us, we don't even see that frog. Like there's only a couple of keepers that have them up here. Um, so yeah, super excited to be talking about them. Jack, what about you? Yeah. Hey, so yeah, I've, I've been keeping breeding dart frogs, been in the dart frog hobby for 10 years now. Um, super passionate about them. Uh, in regards to the Lamani stuff and with Carlos and everything, I've been down to Columbia twice now with Carlos and uh, seen some of the work that they've done that they're working on uh, at the Zoo Cali there and um, seeing their facility and documented stuff and all their conservation work. And then uh, I've seen some of the Lamani, Carlos and I went out last or uh, two months ago and actually he took me out to see the Lamani in situ, which was amazing. And uh, so I got to learn about them a little bit more. And, but yeah, I've just been down there doing some stuff with, with Carlos and documenting some of the amazing stuff they're doing. And uh, yeah, just happy to share anything I can from my experience about it and anything that, you know, anything we end up talking about, but yeah, just happy to get my input on it and everything. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and so you saw the frogs in situ. These are some of the frogs that I guess have already been released. These actually, um, we went to a different area. Um, Carlos, correct me if I'm wrong, but we went to a different area where they don't do the releases. They do a release in a different population. And, um, we went to a different area where, um, the Lamadi also exists but just just a different population yeah okay awesome yeah yeah because we went to a, a remind population it's very very small population that is the reason mm -hmm. because we are releasing now more frogs uh, and we are releasing animals in a new places places uh, that they used to be is is a reintroduction we are trying to uh to establish again the population in the places that they used to uh be in the past historically uh, yeah. yeah awesome yeah and, and so so maybe maybe can can one of you walk us through a bit of like how how so for everyone listening if you haven't already 
go check out the Amphibicast episode with these guys. It's an incredible episode, and they go very well into detail about um, the Ufaga project. So I don't want to, we don't want to go too much too, too much into the same details. We're gonna kind of play around it, kind of talk about rewilding as a concept, and then um, touch on some of the awesome work that Carlos is doing. But could you, could one of you maybe walk us quickly through what the project is and how how it works? Yeah, okay. Carlos, that's all you. <laughs> okay, we had a, a agreement with the with the Wildlife Conservation Society, and we at the beginning in 2017 we established a conservation program for the amphibians in Colombia. Uh, but we didn't know exactly about the strategies for each species that that needed uh, these kind of strategies. And one of the strategies is the situ strategies, but uh, in the Cali Zoo, we have an amphibian lab, but at that moment, we didn't know if it was necessary to establish a breeding program uh, because it, we don't have enough information here in Colombia for many species. Uh, we brought together many uh, experts here uh, in Colombia. We meet all of them at the Cali Zoo. Uh, we, we were working for three days with uh, the amphibian art help us with, with this workshop and with the information that we have uh unfortunately uh, the universidad del valle and some researchers get many uh, a lot of information about the of alemani uh um we know that the of alemani was uh, is an species that the populations are very very small and it's very difficult for them to recover for themselves. Um, they needed a breeding program for to try to rescue this species from the extinction. Um, at that moment, we didn't have population of of Agalemanins. Uh, we were concerned because uh, the permits for that we can spend a lot of time for that, uh, and we didn't have enough time. But uh, we were very lucky. I don't know lucky because <laughs> some months later, one back with around 200 frogs appeared in a bathroom in the, in the Bogota airport in Colombia. We don't know why, but maybe someone uh, was scared by the authorities, was trying to send the, the frogs to Europe or United States. Uh, some of them were of Agalemani, and the government know about this project, and the government sent us the frogs uh, to us. But were very few of them, around 40 frogs, for us was not enough for to establish a population uh, because it's necessary to get the enough funders uh, for to start the breeding program. And we lost some of them because they are very, very difficult to keep. The, they, they need a, a lot of care in captivity. And in some months later, in April of 2019, one member of the community from the Anchicaya was caught from uh, by the authorities in the airport again. Uh, he he were uh, he was a dealer, and he he was trying he was trying to to send around four hundred frogs uh, to Europe, and eighty of them uh, were uh, of Alemany, and again the government sent us the frogs. And we could start the program uh, at the Cali Zoo. And in, 2000, uh, in 2022, uh, we start to release animals to the wild. To the, wild. Uh, the last month, we made the, the third uh, release uh, event. We, we are releasing in three, in three opportunities. Uh, we are releasing uh, 89 frogs to the wild, but just we are waiting for the outcomes. We are monitoring the frogs 
with the communities. Um, I have some professionals uh, there also trying to monitor the frogs, but just we are in the process. We don't know exactly what is going to happen in the future. We we, we hope to to be successful with this. <laughs> yeah, of course. Hopefully, now are all are all eighty nine frogs. Sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you jump jump in. After. I'm just curious. Are all eighty nine frogs released in the same location? Yeah, we are. We chose a first location because before to do it, we spent uh, around six months uh, doing some research there, trying to find if the place were uh, available for, for to release the frogs. We needed to know if the environmental conditions, uh, if they have food there, is this is. It is a, a good place for to release. Uh, and we know another two places more, but we start with the first place and we are trying to release around 100 frogs there in order to know if it's okay and is not working, we are going to release to another place. It's, we are your, we, we, we just, we are starting this, this process, but we are working now until now uh, in the first place. Carlos, if I could just ask, I one of the, the big takeaways from the interview that you and I did with, with Jack a few months ago on my show was the, the challenges associated with rearing, I'm trying to get the best term, but rearing wild caught Ufaga Lamani in a captive setting for reintroduction as opposed to raising captive Lamani to be kept by a hobbyist. And it really stuck with me the, the difference between the, the two animals where we've sort of selected for an Ufaga Lamani in the hobby that's more tolerant of human error, whereas the wild Ufaga Lamani that you work with are a lot more fragile and a lot more sensitive and need a lot more care. So I think that what Fadi and I want to kind of get into is how how fragile they actually are and how the efforts of working with wild working with wild frogs and putting wild frogs back as opposed to working with you know captive frogs and putting captive frogs back I, I just wanted to ask you first though and I know it's a sensitive subject I know you guys really don't want to compromise the security of the area that it was released but are you did you release them into any area where there already were some existing populations of Ufagalamani, or did you least release them into an area where they had been completely wiped out? Yeah, we are releasing the animals in in, in area that for many years uh, <clears throat> there, there are no uh, any frog there or Ufagalamani is there. But I don't know exactly for how long is is no uh Ufagalemani is anymore there. One of the problems here is that the, the frog is coming from parents that came from the wild. It's the first generation now, and we are getting second generations in the lab. But for many years, many years ago, in, in, in that place, the Ophagalemanis, the distribution in that was very, very wide. Uh, even the members of the community say that they, they they could find frogs even very close to the to the uh, the the way that the, the people access there from the visitors or, or the tourists access there but was very the, the the population was very high uh but when they start to get frogs uh, is in the 60s around or 70s uh they broke or they catch around 1000 in one day and they they caught a lot a lot of frogs and for many years that places is empty uh, no no population of Fagalemani there and the that places changed because some farmers uh, use the the land for uh, livestock uh, uh, for crops even for illegal crops uh, illegal crops um, and again some places is this is this is established again 
uh, has a forest. Maybe it's a secondary forest in some places. We don't know exactly if it's okay for the frogs or, or not. Um, one of the problems that we have is the frogs is not with, with toxins uh, uh, that the frogs that we are releasing. We are trying to release very, very young frogs in order that they can get the toxins in, in the wild. Sometimes we are releasing uh, frogs more, uh, some more, 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 more old. Uh, and the problem is the the uh, the red or the, the the color is not so bright, and is maybe they are more. Uh, uh, it's more possible that the predators can get it. I, I I don't know exactly. We don't know exactly what is going to happen with this population, and we just we are learning about it. Um, it's not easy. We know. Uh, but the monitoring that the first uh, individual that we released we was very easy for us to find it the first two months and uh, later it's very difficult to find again the frogs because for us it's not easy to put a trans transmitter uh, uh, on the frogs and just we try to find it again to try to identify uh, what is this frog but there's survival of, of the frog that we are releasing is very difficult for now for us to to identify is if he's uh, successful or, or not no, just, go ahead, uh, i was just going to say one of the things that um you mentioned carlos um just in the past when we've been talking so i think last time when i was there with you um you guys were talking about how i think it was margarita mentioned who's the head head keeper in, in the amphibian lab at zucali she was talking about how, because you mentioned the color being different and how you like to release the younger animals to give them a chance to color up. Um, and that's a big topic. And one of the things I'm most interested in with the uh, uh, wild versus captive bred Lamani. But she mentioned that after even two weeks when they went back and saw some of the animals that they had released, the color was significantly more red and more saturated at one of their captive animals. Mm -hmm. Because as you may know, I'm not sure if this is general knowledge and, you know, maybe a more specific thing, but just for everybody listening and for you guys when uh for lamani specifically when they're captive bred for some reason whatever it is their colors are just not as nice and when you go in the wild and see a wild individual their mm -hmm. colors it's just it's night and day difference and so that's one of the things that i'm super interested in and um that's one of the cool things about uh you know what they're doing is we can kind of get maybe more of an insight on that and why that is but yeah she told us that even after two weeks their um, captive bred animal that they went and found had nicer color, which is just super cool. So just something I want to add in. Yeah, that was kind of like one of the other things I wanted to segue into was also how Lamani or really any, any dendrobatid in captivity is going to lose the toxicity. And in the case of Lamani, as, as you've pointed out to me, and I've heard from other hobbyists is that the, the color doesn't maintain that high saturation of, of red or, or I know you guys are working with red Lamani, but also orange and, and yellow. So it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's kind of a rabbit hole that you can go down because you have to ask yourself what wild conditions go into creating this perfect situation where you have of course. A, a, a frog that was technically born in captivity, but is, is of realistically very close to wild stock and right is reintroduced and then very, very quickly retains its, its wild habitat, its, oh, right. excuse me, its wild um, coloration and whatnot. So like my, my argument is that at this point, what we're keeping in the hobby is essentially a different animal than what's in the wild, just by virtue of the fact that, I mean, Carlos, I think you'd mentioned to me that the, uh, the exportation process from right. Colombia out of, out of Colombia to other countries the, within central South America, whatever, um, you guys have a very, very specific climate where these Lamani live and moving them outside of that climate or shipping them in general can be stressful. And then the individuals that die off are really only those that are hardy enough to live outside that climate. So if you want to be kind of a purist, you're mm -hmm. actually by exporting, you're kind of selecting for frogs that are further away from the wild type, just mm -hmm. by your inability mm -hmm. to survive outside the biome yeah. that they evolved in. So I mean, yeah. Carl, what are your what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, uh, I think one important thing is the genetics also. Um, we know that maybe the founders that we had is not in so high genetics because the population is so small. Uh, but we try and we the, the population that we keep, uh, we work with some uh, softwares that help us to maintain the genetics and demographic population. We can choose the males and the females that we are going to mate and in order to maintain the genetics from the population that we start to work. But the genetics from the animals that is maintained as a hobby, we don't know exactly what is the genetics. Maybe it's, it's a better genetics that, that we have because they were sending before the problem that we have now that is more population that we have in, in, in the natural habitat the, now and is the, 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 the individuals that we established, the funders, maybe we lost a lot of genetics and maybe we have another populations in in, in United States and Europe with better genetics than we have. But the problem is that the people that maintain them as a hobby at the beginning, I think, I, I don't know, I am, don't know so much about it, but maybe they're more interested to keep the animals and to maintain a population, but it's not worried so much about the genetics uh, because at the beginning they don't thinking uh, about uh, maybe this frog is going to help the uh, the population in the wild and we are going to release maybe animals to the to the wild is is a hobby is just for maintain the animals now the problem is to to, to maintain a a population in long term yeah i think so I mean, one of the things that i really like about the dark frog hobby is that um obviously so people keep different locales separately you know so the red lamani people would not mix with the yellow lamani or at least you'd mm -hmm. hope they wouldn't but for the most part, people don't do that, um, which is cool because then in cases where if a frog does go extinct, then we do have the right, we have the same frogs genetically as what you'd find in the wild because people try to keep them pure. Um, mm. But as far as, as pure as, as in the locales, um, pure locality, but people do try to also, um, you know, breed unrelated frogs to each other, try not to breed, you know, siblings um but at, you're right it is it is it is a hobby so not everybody mm -hmm. is as concerned about you know like maintaining the you know pure genetics to be able to you know potentially help with a project like this but you know so but what i do like about the hobby is that there are people out there that do care about that and are interested in that so it's cool that we have in captivity in the hobby the exact frogs you would see out in the wild we have the exact same ones in in the tanks in our homes so and yeah, they're not yeah. all mixed and muddied up no. yeah what, one important thing is that we uh, at the galley zoo we are uh, keeping the only population in captivity uh we, we prefer say under professional care <laughs> uh, uh around the zoos in, in the world uh, you, you have the only population sorry yeah it's the only population wow and you're the only one doing that, yeah that is no good because if something happened with the population that we are keeping, there's no backup. Yeah, right. Which, why uh, I think it's important. The yeah, people in the maybe hobby, one option you know, that we could have in something happened with the population we are keeping is the animals that is maintained as a hobby. Is a second opportunity that maybe we can we could have in the future. Maybe it's yeah. it's important. It's important because it's the to release animals to the wild at this moment is the only option that we uh, the species have for to be rescued from from the extinction from the, from yeah. the extinction. Yeah, yeah. I think it's no, talked I'll... about very frequently. Yeah. Sorry, 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 go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Oh, just, just I was gonna reiterate that you guys are the only ones doing those releases too, and so it's amazing what work you guys are doing. And but you're right, it is a it's scary that you guys are the only ones that have the population and the only ones doing this work because yeah if something were to happen you know that's the only genetic stock that is being worked with like that but but yeah go go ahead i was just gonna that's all i wanted to chime in no yeah i was just i was just wondering so you know i think we talk about the re-releasing of frogs or animals or or, or or a lot of different species as keepers i think a lot of people dream about doing it and want to do it but i think it's it's also like 
there's like there's so many concerns is there any for 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 you or error in this case um is there any concerns other than genetics that you would have from like releasing uh captive bred frogs from people's collections if that makes sense <laughs> yeah we know that genetics is important but sometimes if you have to release animals with uh, uh, with no good genetics is is the only option we can do it uh, it's, it's, for some species uh, is working uh, uh, but is the only option we prefer to release animals with, with good genetics but we know maybe the genetics is not the best for this species uh, now uh, is uh, we made some genetic sample for the frogs that we are keeping in the lab in order to know what is the best option for to establish the uh, the pairs for to to get the, the the next generations but even in the wild the genetics are not the best okay right so then so the, the, the then the advantage of having the confiscated wild caught frogs um, over captive red frogs is purely just a genetic thing then. Yeah. Yeah, uh, larger it's, gene. Yeah. yeah. It's an advantage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. An advantage, not a necessity. I, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. I think it's, it's one of those things where people often forget about is the genetic viability of, of any given population, and especially a frog like Wafaga Lamani that a you know, occupies a relatively small range compared to something like Tinctorius. I mean, Tinctorius is all different morphs and locales and bloodlines and whatnot, but I mean, they occupy a much broader area. So with something like Lamani, I feel like with some of these small species, it's so, e it's so easy to overlook that genetic component. And you have to ask yourself ethically, well, do we want a red and black frog where there used to be a red and black frog, or does it have to be genetically identical to what was there before. And my, just my, my thought process was this. Here in the US, we've had some reintroduction efforts that have been, some have been by and large very, very successful. And in Florida, I, I happened to catch uh, the kind of the tail end of, of a fish and wildlife um, release. But um, don't quote me on this as, as everything is, as, uh, as it was written. But uh, here in the US, we had an extirpated population of, of cougars along the East Coast mm. of the United States. And then occasionally mm. some come in from the West. They've been able to trace their genetic yeah. to Western populations. And I believe it was in Florida, there's a distinct population of Florida. They call them Florida panthers, but they're basically cougars that were genetically distinct. They were kind of cut off from the rest of the, you know, rest of the lower, lower 48, just through habitat fragmentation. And at some point, I believe what happened was a, a population of Texas, Cougars were introduced into Florida to help repopulate the population, but they also added that Texas genetics to it. So technically we have the same species, but we have an influx of genetics from another area that wasn't there before. And the result has been what I've heard is like much, much larger cougars that are having a different effect on the ecosystem. So it's kind of like that, that ethical thing that, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to maybe discuss like some of the pros and cons of that, but you know, do you like, do you want to reintroduce a, I guess like a hobby grade frog back into the wild hmm. or just say, you know what, let's, I'd rather have nothing back there if it's not genetically perfect, because those are arguments that I've heard all ends of the spectrum from different people. I was just curious if you guys have thoughts or opinions on that. Like, is it better to only go with the genetically identical population or is it okay to go with genetics from different sources that might not necessarily be as pure as, as the original founding stock would be. Oh, okay. I, I, I think the, is, is the option that we have to release the animals? We, we can take it. Is, 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 the, is the last option that we have for this, for the population. I think uh, we have tools, uh, we can taste the, the animals that is keeping as a hobby. Maybe it's, it's just we need to get the information. We don't know exactly what uh, about the genetics uh, about the the, the frog that is keeping that they are keeping as a hobby. We don't know about the genetics. Maybe we can take some samples and to know about it because now we don't know <laughs> exactly 
about the, that genetics. One thing, uh, one uh, uh, concern is that there is a species that is is a very endemic species. It's not only for Colombia. is 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 an endemic species for a, a small region. Uh, is maybe it's natural for them. No man uh, to, to maintain a very few uh, genetics uh, diversity is maybe it's not so high the genetic diversity for the population has a natural uh, it's natural for the species because this is very small area that inhabit this species is just in the Anchicaya region. Uh, Jack knows the, the place is it's a very small place with a very special ecosystem there. Is no, yeah. you can you can find another ecosystem like this in the world. It's very okay. yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. Dan, for your um, about your question about whether it's um, whether it's better to release genetically pure animals or none at all, I think yeah, that's a really that might come down to kind of ethically how you view it. Um, and I'm sure people have different opinions on that, but I think, yeah, it's, I think that's really cool. What Carlos is saying about uh, doing genetic tests, because if something were to happen in their collection, you know, they didn't have their, their wild caught stock anymore. And we were forced to work solely with the frogs that we keep in the hobby in Europe and the U S um, it's interesting that, yeah, we could just do genetic tests and be able to see if they are still, you know, similar to that of, or the same as, the, the genetic material that they have of their wild stock. Um, but I think that's just, again, one of the important parts of keeping the frogs, you know, not mixing locales and, you know, taking it seriously. And yeah, it's a hobby, but still kind of having some sort of responsibility with it because, you know, a lot of these frogs, Lamani, as well as many other species aren't doing that well in the wild. And so, you know, kind of as much as it is, as it is fun, it is a responsibility to keep these frogs and, you know, do the right thing and not mix them and, you know, maintain them and, in the best way that's possible because you know it's not just like you should keep any you you know you should keep all animals you should treat all animals correctly of course and their husband have their husband husbandry be correct but um dart frogs just even more so i'd say just because of you know given that they're not you know they're not doing super well in the wild all of them and that locales can disappear just like that super easily so yeah that's <laughs> just it's important you know i think that we all keep keep everything responsibly and not mix and do the best we can to produce the frogs that we keep in the, in the hobby. hundred percent, hundred percent. And then, okay. So, so from, from the other aspect, you guys are releasing the frogs. Um, and obviously now you're going to monitor them do well, but is the project doing anything on the habitat side as well? So are you like, is there any habitat reconstruction or conservation so that I guess it doesn't happen again, uh, so to speak? Yeah, one where one of the members of this project is the community, and the community is very committed with the with this project. And they feel they feel that the, the frog is the is the imagine. I don't know in English. Maybe I apologize for my English <laughs> because it's not my first language here in Colombia. No, no problem. <laughs> but. The, the the frog for for the people in the community is very important for them. Everything that they produce, the frog is the is the, is like a, the logo for for, for, for them. Uh, it, it, now they they want to protect the frog because they know that this they, is unique for them. The, the, like the frog, yeah, only mm -hmm. inhabit there in that place. In the past. They didn't know about it. Now they know it, and it's important for them. Even they feel very proud uh, about this species. And now they are trying to recover uh, the habitat. They protect the habitat. Even some uh, some uh, lands, uh, the the owners of some lands, they itself they protect the lands because they are interested in that the of Agalimi uh, recover his population and he navigate there. For them, it's very important. This is the thing that is more exciting for us is the, 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 the communities, how they feel uh, very proud about this species. Uh, and this is, I think this is the best thing and the best 
tool that we have um, is the is the communities uh, compromise that they have with these species. Um, we are working with them together and try to recover the habitat to protect the habitat and the some members of the community that in the past they used to catch frogs and they were members of this uh, illegal trade now they are working for us and they are working in this project and even they help us to monitoring the animals and to protect the animals and all the members of the community know that they, if the population recover is an opportunity for the people go there to watch the frogs is an is a economic opportunity for them and all the community is going to receive the incomes not only one person that is uh, trying to get frogs um, to be part of the illegal trade now it's all the community not only a few people that's yeah. something and I, got, I think is working now yeah. yeah and i got an experience i got to experience that firsthand when we were just there carlos like it was really cool to see that we got, to, you know, uh, on our drive up. And as we got closer, um, like there were signs everywhere about about the Lamani and, you know, talking about them in pictures of them. And you could really tell that, yeah, they're they're proud of these frogs. They're proud to have them be part of their culture and part of their land and everything. And, yeah, it's definitely a symbol. And so that was really cool to see and experience. And I love that it's it's just such, it's like a happy story that, you know, it switched from them not really knowing about it and being aware and, and just selling the frogs to, to people to smuggle them. And now it's completely flipped. And now they're, you know, actively protecting the frogs and working for you guys. And um, just, it was really cool to experience that for sure. Yeah. I think getting community involved in any project like this is super important. Um, especially like you said, for monitoring them, because that must be really, if you can't put any uh, devices on the frogs, so that right. must probably be just through, through the community, like seeing them and 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 recording yeah, um, they're, that they're seeing the them. Right. Yeah, are are there any like how, how do they how do how is the how is the community reporting back to you guys? So is there like um, is there yeah how, how do you keep track of of how often the frogs are being spotted? They when they go to the place that we are releasing twice for per, per week. Uh, not it's not only the communities that is is, is doing that. Uh, also, I have some researchers, professional researchers there, and they go uh, one uh, in one time per per month around, and the communities gave us the information that they get. We train the communities for to do it. They know how have to do it. It's not only they go and watch the frog. They they are they are no training and. And uh, they send me also uh, he, 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 if someone of the communities watch a frog, he sent me the picture or send me a message. Uh, and, and they also, they know how they can do the report for, now they are experts and they are very excited about it. They, they feel that scientists uh, and it's, it's it's very nice to go to to work with the community. I am, I feel very very comfortable. I very confident with the the people of the community doing this because, yeah, they are happy to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. I always wonder if 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 the use of apps like iNaturalist or something like that would be useful. But then there's the con of also indicating to other people where those frogs could also be. So it's kind of like a yeah, revealing story. the location, revealing yeah. the location as well. Um, so I was wondering how 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 that how that was uh, that was done, but yeah, that's 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 super in interesting. Yeah, I, I'm curious as to how you maintain the security of the area. I mean, obviously, I'm sure the best thing is just just don't tell anybody. But um, another question that that did come to my mind was when, when we talked about rewilding. If there's an area where a species has been extirpated from, oftentimes another species might come in and assume that that niche. Have you seen anything like that with, with Lamani? Has there been a similar species that's kind of come in and maybe had a population boom or may have taken over that ecological niche the way, like, for example, here uh, in, in, again, the East Coast of the United States, we haven't had any kind of gray wolves here in quite some time. And they're starting to come back, but their population was replaced in part by a very heavy population of coyotes, which kind of took over yeah. that niche. Is anything similar happening where you are in Colombia with the Lamani? 
Oh, okay, no, uh, we don't know uh, now. Uh, we don't. We are not seeing another species that replace the ecological function for the uh, of Alemany. But maybe it's possible because the lands the that place is is destroyed. <laughs> also, it's very difficult for uh, another species established there because many people that are right there. For many years, they start to they uh, use the land for livestock or for even for illegal crops on uh, and, and for legal crops also. For, but uh, maybe it's something that we don't know exactly if it's possible to establish the even the population the the of Alemany, but the. All the research that we are doing there, we are not finding another species that uh, doing the the or replace the the, the ecological function there. No, I, we don't think so. No, I am pretty sure that not. And your question about the security is is is, is important because. Uh, we have in Colombia some problems with the illegal, uh, with the, with the groups, illegal groups, because uh, we have a fight between the army and the guerrillas, and say, and in that place, the the FARC, the is the is a guerrillas group. They are there. Is is the is is a territory that they is. Uh, I don't know how to say, but is uh, all the communities or anything that you are going to do there is you need to ask to them because they sort of run the area. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. It's often, yeah. you can't always access that um, the areas that the Lamont found, which is a which could be a good thing. You know, it prevent uh, prevents people from going in and just taking the frogs because you can't always go there because it's not always safe. Um, like Carlos was saying, the, the guerrillas and the political conflict and everything there. Um, so that is one deterrent for smugglers, which is, which does work in that, in the favor of, you know, the frogs, but, um, and Have their own also, security system. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The government protecting them by, you know, <laughs> but yeah, like Carlos said, yeah, you need permission to be able to get to the land yeah. where they are, um, oftentimes or else it may not go so well but um in addition to that the frogs are also they're pretty hard to get to it's not an easy hike to get it's not mm -hmm. like you can just drive up and they're on the side of the road you know so that's another thing that's protecting them is that it's a very remote um mm -hmm. location that they're at at least the population yeah. that we went yes yeah. um it, it's not an easy hike to get up to them so it was about what did it take carlos about three hours three hours uphill through the dense jungle yeah. and that's just, and yeah. at one point Towards the end, we were just walking through, and it, I was looking around, and it's like, "Geez, we're really in the middle middle of the jungle here," <laughs> you know. So, right. they, not and we had um, Carlos. I'm sure knew where we were, and we had a guide as well, helping us to be able to actually locate the frogs because otherwise, you know, they're <laughs> they're quite hard to find. So, yeah, as a scientist, it's a risk that we are taking. Uh, yeah, because in any moment, uh, sometimes we we had problems, even. Uh, some months ago, yeah. uh, I went there just for a meeting with, with the community. Um, the guerrillas uh, uh, control stopped me mm -hmm. and asked me about it. And but I say I have a meeting there, and they say, "Okay, but we I, we need to check your car. Uh, we are the the guerrilla member, and one of them." All right, one of the members of the guerrillas are right and say, Oh, you are the frogs man. I said, Yes, I am the frogs man. I said, <laughs> okay, foreign, go, go. But uh, I, I asked him, Why do you know me? And uh, he said, Oh, this project is fantastic for us. We we love it, the conservation. And we you you were in the community some months ago talking about the snakes with the communities, and I learned a lot about the snakes and start to show me the snake that he's so uh and he said uh, i command to everybody here and no one can kill a snake here okay and amazing 
And we we were talking about 20 minutes about the snakes. <laughs> when they having the gorillas. And, and, yeah, they yeah, uh, with the gorillas. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. That's, yeah. that's everybody was getting involved now. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 It's interesting how you get frogs have so much charisma that you could I guess yeah. defy any political socioeconomic uh, differences and that's 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 great. I mean it's it's terrible that there's political instability unfortunately that's a world problem but uh it's encouraging yeah. to at least see that you're able to do your work in, in i guess relative relative safety there and with support of them yeah yeah that's yeah. true but this week uh two days ago we had to go to the place to do some research in the new places that we are going to release i my researchers uh have to come back because the army arrived to the place and the community said, oh, it's very, very, very dangerous now. You have to come back and we cannot work these, these days. <clears throat> it's, it's something that happened frequently to us. The, the war in here in Colombia uh, can affect some outcomes that we need to get at, uh, about this project. But is the passion is for, for this war uh, uh, we we don't think about the risk. Just we want to do it. We are the all the we are involved in this. We are very passionate people. Is, is that I think is the, the reason because we continue to go there because many people said, oh, we are not going to take that risk because it's so dangerous. I don't want to be kidnapped by the guerrillas. <laughs> it's, 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 you know it's what I mean? It. It's not worth yeah. it for the frogs, or yeah, it's not worth to do work, and that can affect that can affect everything for sure. Uh, on the topic of like of getting the community involved, I think any any rewilding project, regardless of what it is, one of the initial barriers is getting people, including the government of whatever country it is, mm -hmm. to care enough to give um whatever the scientists or, or the people access to to start the project so how how do you how did you initially educate or convince the people that this is a good idea and like yeah like how how does how does how does this go or how would you i guess suggest that the best way it's done yeah because because usually it's it's either people i guess fear things or they feel yeah. bad for things and that's how they convince them so that's true. yeah that's true yeah. uh I think this is not the only project that I have with communities, uh, but my experience said uh, in my case, I I am very thankful to the snakes. <laughs> uh, the, the snakes opened me the, the doors in the communities because the snakes, uh, the people feel the snakes and they call me and say me, we need you help us with the problem with the snakes. And the, the snakes helped me to to, to to make friends and they feel more comfortable and they feel more confidence with me. And when we establish this kind of relationship and they feel that the example, the Cali Zoo is an institution that helps the communities and they are interested to get something from them, uh, they feel more comfortable and, uh, and feel more confidence. Uh, one another thing is that the Universidad del Valle uh, uh, was there working for a long time and also they established a, a relationship with the, some biologists that were working uh, uh, in some research about the Ofag Alemani. And they know me, they know the Universidad del Valle, they know the zoo, and we, we, we are friends. That we are not only people that just are right there and say, Oh, okay. I am Carlos Gabis. Uh, I need that you uh, believe all the things that you are going to say about this species. Is you need to establish uh, our relationship before uh, with the communities. Is even here in Colombia. Here is very difficult to to arrive at the first time at the communities. If they don't know you. It's very difficult to to do something. Carlos, what's unique about the Lamani project as opposed to other species of amphibian in the area that you work with? Uh, I think it's the it's because so endemic. 
the the ecosystem is unique and it's a species that inhabit very very close very near to the communities there we have to walk as uh, jack say uh, four hours to for the the, the remain uh, uh, population but uh i think it's a, it's a unique species it's a it's a species with even you you know that you want to keep them in captivity uh is very difficult to keep uh is is very is many challenges that we have in this project not only to keep the 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 population on the uh, professional care is now is also the what is going to happen in, in the wild because we don't have so much op so much options to release because the, the area is so small it's different to another projects because maybe you have another uh options uh, the, the the distribution maybe maybe is more wide that you have another opportunity to reestablish here is doesn't work maybe uh, uh, the, this project is not going to successful. I think it's, it's because it's a big challenge, this project, I think so. I actually have a question for Jack. I was curious about your impression of the wild Lamani versus the ones that we keep in the hobby, meaning an Ophaga, an Ophaga Lamani in, in a tank, in, uh, you know, in an American bedroom, basement, wherever, sure. as opposed to a wild Colombian Lafaga Lamani, like what are some of the differences that you noticed from a hobbyist perspective going into this? Man, it doesn't compare. <laughs> They're just, I mean, the Lamani that we keep in the hobby, beautiful, beautiful frogs, of course, but seeing them in the wild like that, they're just, it's amazing. They're just obviously, like I had said before, they're just so much brighter, just deeper saturated red. Um, I feel like their blacks were just even more jet black, dark, and the perfect white toes. Like it just, they, it just seemed like the perfect Lumani. <laughs> like what you would strive for in captivity is what, you know, is what you end up seeing in the field like that. They're, they were amazing. Um, but, and one of the things too, that I, from seeing them um, again, yeah, it was a, it was a hard hike up there, you know, long drive, not an easy thing to do. Um, very, very grateful for the experience to get to see them because it's not something that many people get to do. And I just, I have a new appreciation for getting to see them in, in, you know, basements, bedrooms, whatever, just having them in the hobby just gave me a new appreciation for it because yeah, they're hard to get to and there's not many out there. And we're just, we're all super lucky to get to keep the Lamani and, and all dart frogs, you know, and all animals in general, but, but, um, them especially because it was, yeah, it was crazy, crazy to see them, but yeah, comparing them to the, to the captive animals, they're just, yeah, like I said, so much more red, um, size wise, I feel like they were about the same. Um, uh, you know, we heard them call. That was, of course, the same. Uh, it was mostly the colors was the main thing. They just and they just seemed so lively and bright. So, but yeah, it was definitely definitely a big difference, though, for sure. What about the toxicity? The role the toxicity has in the in the survival rate of the wild frogs. And Carlos, is there any project underway that you're working towards in terms of how to? I guess retoxify them before they're released, as opposed to wait until they accumulate the toxicity on their own in the wild. Yeah, it's something that we are uh, thinking. We just we are waiting to establish the population, and we are thinking to to test uh, the the frogs in order to know if the toxicity is is getting in the population. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, we it's something that we are going to do it with the population that we are releasing. Just we are waiting. Because it's due time uh, it's, it's for, for to start to do it, but it's something that we we are planning to do. Do you know exactly what it is that, or like what the food is that is yeah. uh, getting them in toxicity? Yeah, we know about uh, another species that is some kind of ants and some beetles also, but. Uh, for this species, we are not sure. We need to research, uh, research more. We know about the the items that they eat, but we are thinking uh, that is uh, some species of, of ants that you, you, they can get uh, they can get the the toxicity. But 
it's something that is interesting to know in order to is possible i i don't know maybe it's something that we are thinking is possible to to establish uh a farm for this kind of ants but the only yeah, thing that cool. the ants can get the 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 the, the, the plants that they eat is all the, 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 the it's all connected it's all, yeah, yeah, it's yeah all like it would yeah. be cool the culture to try to yeah. culture those ants or yeah. whatever that's what i was wondering if it would be possible yeah. yeah but then it's yeah. like yeah okay you may be able to culture them but then they may not be getting the the same yeah. diet and the same conditions yeah, for them exactly. to be able to exactly. have the toxins so it'd be an right. interesting it'd be a really interesting project for sure yeah guys there was a there was a movie in the in the late 80s with sean connery called the medicine man and it's it's a little you know kind of hokey pokey by today's standards but in the in the movie he was a doctor in somewhere in the amazon and he had found a cure for cancer and he somehow there was land development going on where the area that he found it was um, being destroyed so it was kind of a race against time and he originally thought that it was um it was a bromeliad and he the bromeliad only grew on one very very isolated place and to make a long story short, he found that it wasn't the bromeliad. It was actually the ants that were feeding inside the bromeliad that was somehow mm. imbuing this chemical into it. So it's, it's, but I mean, I'm sorry. It's kind of a, a crazy analogy. <laughs> no, it's for sure. That's... How much, how much <laughs> complexity there is that goes into this. Like, it's not just a matter of a frog eating an, an insect. It's a matter of a frog eating an insect that eats a plant that eats another plant that, that lives in the soil that has the difficult that is the reason yeah. because we one of the things we are trying to do is to the animals start to get the possibility to to produce the toxins in the in the wild mm -hmm. for now is the best way that we think yeah. is we can get it this yeah so Carlos, that's a big challenge is there any other big challenges that you've had to face throughout this project uh, now is I think is the more uh, urgent project <laughs> because the situation of the Ofa Alemani is 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 the worst. <laughs> uh, uh, but one advantage that I have is I live in a country with many challenges <laughs> uh, because is we have a very high biodiversity and sometimes. We don't have enough information for to know maybe another species that need to to, to do something immediately. Uh, is that is a challenge? We need more to get more information for many species. Uh, the amphibians in Colombia is we are sure that they are threat, but maybe we are losing species, but that we don't have enough information for to do something. Uh, yeah, that is the challenge. Yeah, yeah. And another challenge I know that, um, if I can chime in real quick, about one of the challenges I know they had uh, was producing the frogs because Lamani are not easy to, not easy frogs to keep, but then never mind breed. Yeah. Um, and of course, just like anything in the beginning, you know, there's there's a learning curve, and in in a very short, relatively short, you know, amount of time, um, they've done an a fantastic job with producing the Lamani at the zoo. Like Carlos, you guys, I think Margarita told me that you guys have like 10% um, or like 90% success rate, only 10% deaths, which, which to some people may sound like, Oh my gosh, 10%. That's a very small number, <laughs> especially yeah. when working with frogs as sensitive as Ufaga Lamani, because um, in captivity, you know, think everybody who keeps large up because the large Ufaga knows, you know, things don't always go to plan. They're not an easy, easy frog to breed at all. And so for them to have like 90% success rate is, is astonishing. That's really good job. And so their husbandry is just down, like they've got it down, you know, as, as good as it can be, I'd say. And um, they're just doing a fantastic job breeding them, which is, you know, obviously a huge part of it, having enough frogs to be able to release and having healthy frogs to be able to release. So they're doing a fantastic job with that. Yeah. Yeah, what, what another thing important that uh, has uh, I have to say is in Colombia we are few zoos. It's not the the same situation that you have in the United States. You are more than three three hundred zoos. We are few here, uh, yeah. around fifty. And the facilities uh, on that zoos is, is very in these zoos is very difficult to 
they can keep the frogs because to maintain the frogs uh, is necessary and uh, special facilities. Right. Uh, the, yeah, the resources that are needed. And we need yeah. to maintain, for maintain and long-term populations uh, of the frogs, we need to send animals to, to another countries also in order to maintain different populations and we can grow up more easy the, the populations. And one of the challenges that, that we have is that the Colombian government uh, it's, it's not easy with the Colombian government that they can give us the, the, the permits for to send animals to another country. It's very difficult uh, because they feel that is uh, the genetics is losing from the country, but they, they don't they don't understand uh, about what is the rule that we have in the zoos around the world in order to keep populations uh, in captivity for to save species from extinction. It's not only a problem for Colombia, it's, it's a problem in many countries here in Latin America. Uh, it, it, I think it's another challenge. We need to change the the way that the government think about the zoos here. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Carlos, what, what do you think about hobbyists in, let's just say, the U.S., Canada, and um, Europe, where I'm going to assume the majority of the captive of Fagalamani are, if people wanted to potentially submit genetic samples from their stock to you, is that something that Zucali would be open to, just to see if, for argument's sake, there might be more diverse bloodlines that are outside of Colombia that could be incorporated into that program? Is that a project that you would consider or that that zoo cali would, would would take seriously yeah i think i think we can, awesome. yeah, i think it's a good idea is yeah, this is very important because we need to have plan b <laughs> we, we we need another option if something will happen it's an option that we have for the species just we are thinking in the species not only uh, that we can feel out ah, the cali zoo or uh, wildlife conservation society and uh, this kind of alliance save the species is 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 the species this species disappears is for everybody no it's, it's, it's for the world is i think if it has many uh, people uh, institutions uh, whatever can help this species is the best for the species i think it's a very good option it's a very good idea um just now we are thinking about it i didn't think about it before and now <laughs> after this meeting <laughs> it's something that, that that we start to thinking that it's a very good option yeah not having all your eggs in one basket so to say you know be able to have multiple different people or institutions working with um different you know stock to be able to just have genetic diversity but then also you know in case something was to happen you know you guys have fantastic protocols with Kytrid and everything, you know, for the facility, but you know, things, things do happen. And so it is smart to, to be able to have multiple institutions and people working with them. But yes, yeah, it's, it's just such a shame that it's so hard to be able to get those permits to be able to, cause Carlos, you know, we've talked about that before with wanting to export, you know, to Dallas world aquarium or something to Chris or whatever, but it's just, yeah, it's a shame that it's so hard that that's not really possible right now. And I assume collecting from the wild a little more, a few more frogs is also not an option like there is the is there just too little now at the moment to collect or uh maybe if it's necessary we have to do it it's no problem uh, the one thing is that the government is involved in this and the government support this project and it's something that we need to do it i know that is we can do it it's no problem with the with the authorities because the authorities is they are members of this kind of project of this alliance yeah awesome awesome okay well maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll wrap we'll wrap it up on the, on that note if anyone around the world is listening to this and has fagulamani you heard dan go send samples to carlos um but no no for <laughs> real uh th thank you thank you all so much for doing this Dan. thank you for setting it up um uh, okay, maybe we'll, we'll go we'll go through we'll go through it. Carlos, can you let everyone know where they can find you and where they can keep up with this project? Oh, sorry, I was just I was just saying, can can you let everyone know like where they can find you and where they can stay like updated with what's happening yes. in the project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sure, yes, sure, sure. Yeah. Yes, sure.
So yeah, like your social media stuff, like Carlos, I mean, there's the Instagram page for Zoo Cali, right? There's, um, you know, you're on Facebook and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Just, yeah. Or, or, or if you want, maybe you could just send them to me and I can put everything in the description as well. Yeah. Or if, you know, if people yeah. want to reach out to me too, I'm happy to, I'm sure Carlos is happy to talk to people and I can put you in contact with him as well. Just whatever. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Just my name, Jack Small. Um, you know, there's, yeah, there's lots of stuff online. We're trying to make it even more public and known. So that way people know what, you know, the amazing work that Zoo Cali is doing for conservation for the Lamani. Yeah. Yeah, no, hopefully sure. this project grows and, and, and more people start to know about it and, and, and hopefully yeah, it's, a, it's a success as well. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks to, I mean, number one, Fadi, thank you for having me on. It was it was a lot of fun co-hosting this with you. And um, I've been really wanting to elaborate on some of the topics that Carlos and Jack and I discussed on when I had them on, on Amphibicast a while back. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to interview them with you and kind of develop the, the concept of rewilding. And uh, I think it's, it's we've, we've covered a lot of ground. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff out there that can be, yeah, uh, that can be worked on. And I feel like contributions from hobbyists is going to be the, I think that has a potential to be a very good positive force for this. Awesome. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and, and yeah, for sure. Thank you, man. And, and, and as I said earlier, everyone go check out that, that original episode, um, that Dan did with Carlos and Jack. It was a really good one. And they went into even more detail about uh, the actual project, but yes. So once again, thank you all very much. And to everyone listening, thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you very much.